Bring your time, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. That's Bunch of rednecks, y'all love that, don't you? <laughs> Welcome to Carpenter's Way if you're visiting. We're a church that insults you as you come in. But hey, um, 
Welcome this morning. If you're here and you want to go to the new members class, that is starting right now. Uh, make your way out either these doors, and there's a library right here if you go out. And just go in there, and uh, we have the new members class, and you can learn kind of what's going on here at the church. For everybody who's staying in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome to. You don't have to. But uh, yeah, join with, join with us this morning. Thank you. 
going to read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever.
you deserve more glory and you deserve more than we can give you deserve more honor than all the words of and let every let every word bring us to your throne and so we give our lives to worship you and glorify your filled with joy in your prayer
worship you and glorify your joy in your presence here. Lord, we offer all we have. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you, and uh, we are fully aware of what you've done on our behalf, and we thank you for that. And our response, Lord, isn't just songs of worship and praise, but it's surrendered lives. And Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning that you would, uh, whether we're in this room or online, that we would, Father, just understand what it means to live surrendered lives. Thank you for the historical record of Acts that teaches us how our brothers and sisters in First Church Jerusalem lived. And may we be inspired by the Spirit's work through their life. So give us ears that hear and hearts that want to be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every week it seems like a few more people come back. I was gone last week on vacation, and you thought Zach was going to preach again, so you came. Thank you. <laughs> Surprise! I don't usually tell when I'm going to be out of town because I find that more people come. So uh, I like to uh, feel good about myself. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I was thinking this morning, I was, I was talking with someone who hadn't been back. Every week, m- more of our folks who are getting the shots are coming back. What a, it's so good to have you back. Um, and, uh, but I was thinking this morning, you know, for three months, we preached, I preached and we did worship to an empty room. This room was so weird. But then the worship team actually started sitting out there making faces at me behind the cameras that you couldn't see. They're not nice people, but they are funny. So... But it's so good to see you coming back. And for those of you who are still watching at home, we're going to keep doing this. And we hope and pray that we can be an encouragement to you. You know, there's so many good things that have happened through the season. Uh, it's easy with the news to think of the negative. But, you know, God has worked in so many of our lives. We've kind of pared down some of our priorities. We've, uh, some of us have eaten out less. Some of us have eaten out more because nobody else is eating out. So you go and, and you're safe there. Uh, but uh, it's, it's so wonderful uh, God has allowed this technology to reach beyond, and, and uh, we have, a, we have a, a large online viewing audience now and uh, from all over the country, and I've had conversations with some of you, especially our Louisiana friends, and, and uh, I want you to know out there that we love you and we're praying for you, and uh, we're privileged that you're participating with us, and if we can do anything for you, please let us know. I do want to uh, take a couple minutes before I jump into uh, the message this morning in Acts chapter 9. We're going to do all of verse 31 today, so we're going to move fast through Scripture. But um, I, there are some things coming up. Uh, we're, we, we have never stopped doing ministry, but there's some things that are gearing up that I want to make you aware of. Uh, uh, Chad has already said that during this morning's service we have a new members class and if you can sneak out and go join them if you're disappointed that I'm preaching and you can just end up joining our church uh, I only preach once a year um, but uh, next Sunday morning we have an informational meeting at 12.15 so right after the worship service about missions, summer missions, short term uh, at this point we are still having a trip to Brazil, we're still having a trip to Guatemala, but we've combined these meetings and if you're interested at all, you're not signing up if you go, but if you're interested at all, that'll be next Sunday at 12.15. Uh, if you have questions, you can't be at the meeting and you have questions, you can talk to Pam Hudson about the Brazil trip, you can talk to the Overbees about the trip to uh, Guatemala, or you can call the office and we'll put you in touch with them. Um, 
uh, one of the things that has changed during uh, COVID is we used to do a lot. Most of our announcement giving was on Facebook. Uh, that is changing. We're not huge fans of Facebook as it's gotten a little more ugly and stuff. So while we're still putting announcements on there, we are actually emailing you and texting you the information that you need to know. And uh, actually, uh, that's been a great way for us to communicate. We're not nailing you five times a week. Uh, maybe once or twice a week or something. But because of that, if you are visiting with us at Carpenter's Way, and we understand that some of you are visiting and you haven't jumped in or you're online, if you want information on the church, we don't even have worship guides right now. Uh, if you want the latest information about upcoming things or announcements, we need your, your cell phone number and your, uh, your email address. And as you leave here, there's a welcome table there with the CW on the front. On that table are some, some cards. And they just, you can write your name, you can put your phone number there, you can put your email address. If you're standing out there and you're a Carpenter's Way person and you're bored, if you have not received an email from me or, or a, a text, would you please refill out one of those uh, pieces of uh, information? Uh, look, and here's the other thing. If you unsubscribe to that, you are unsubscribed until eternity. Um, we, we're, we work with a system, uh, a, a, a church uh, admin system, so I know that sometimes it gets annoying. That's why we're trying to keep it very minimum. You're not going to get texts from us every day um, or emails from us every day. But if you unsubscribe, uh, that unsubscription has to go through their process in order to be done, which, which includes bloodletting, so apparently. I don't know why it's that way, but don't unsubscribe. If you think we're saying too much to you, just email me. I mean, we're family here, and this is just a different way to communicate, but we found that a lot of you are not on Facebook, and so we don't want to lean into that. We're still going to put our stuff on there, but even like this last week with the Burleson family, and, and you know, we're praying for them uh, as uh, Richard went to be with Jesus. You don't need to pray for him. He's doing fine. But we do need to pray for Gina and Crystal and Brad and Nancy. And, but uh, uh, we had a dinner for them, and it's been usually put on Facebook to sign up. And it fills up in 15 minutes. I mean, it's crazy how fast. But I'm pushing the staff to move away from just Facebook, but to also doing it through email. So you, you, please let us know uh, your email address and phone number. Uh, you understand. And uh, if we're sending too much stuff, just let me know. I mean, I'll, 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 uh, I'll figure out a different way to do it or, or whatever. But, but we're trying to uh, respect your, um, your phones because I know it costs you every time you get one of those. Oh, get over it. It does not. <laughs> Final thing. We have a prayer list at Carpenter's Way for those. And you call the office and Dolores puts it on a prayer list. But, you know, there are some things you don't want to put on there. If, you're, if your marriage is in trouble or you're struggling or you're personally doubting, um, we get that. Um, everybody but me doubts, Okay. That was a lie, okay? We all doubt. We all struggle. And sometimes you want to ask people to pray for you, and you don't necessarily want them, you don't feel comfortable telling them what you need prayer for. That's good. That's okay. So uh, we have created a way for you to pray and to be prayed for. And as you, between these two doors is a wood wall, and there's cards on there, and you can write a prayer request anonymously, and you just take a piece of tape and you stick it on that wall. And here's what we ask you. We ask you that as you put one, you take one, and you pray for that. Uh, and that's a way to be praying for each other in, uh, in anonymous ways. And, uh, you know, I just want to say about anonymous, anonymous is okay. It's absolutely okay. I do think you need people around you, so pick a couple people to tell your secrets to. Uh, be wise in your choice, godly men and women that will give you good counsel. But also, there may be time, there, there are always times uh, that you need to be prayed for, and you don't necessarily want people to know the struggles. And so you often don't ask people to pray, but that's what that wall is for, okay? 
We're trying to find new ways of, of taking care of each other and praying. So those are some information. One more thing, and I'm super excited about this. Alicia, next Sunday, is going to uh, be sharing with you new ministries we're going to do for children this summer. We are not having our normal VBS. We have something way better. And she'll be announcing that next summer, and we're super excited about that, uh, camps that we've got going on. So next Sunday during the announcement time, uh, she will be sharing that with you. So make sure you're here bright and early. You cannot leave after the announcements because next week's message is even better than this week's. Actually, that's not true. This week's is pretty good. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're going to get into our message, but before we do, uh, we went, Julie and Annie and I, took vacation last week, and we went to uh, Big Bend, and so I thought I would bring, since we're a family, I thought I would bring slides. So, so this is us. People were wondering where we went. Look how happy Julie is to be in Big Bend. Um, and uh, there we are outside. One of the weird things about Big Bend I want to tell you about, is Kaywood loving here this morning? Is he here? Okay, good, because he needs to see this. This is for him this morning. This is specifically for Kaywood Loving, for uh, Jack Stevenson, and you'll understand why in a minute, and also Larry Brevard. Okay, so this is my family at Big Bend, all right? Uh, then next slide, please. Okay, that is the Rio Grande, and, uh, and on, the, on the right side is the United States, on the left side is Mexico, and Julian is in the pink, that small little smush there. At the bottom left, that's Julie, and that's Anna behind her. They thought there were tacos on that side. I didn't tell them. <laughs> so they went to Mexico, and uh, um, if and you know what's weird about Big Bend? Many of you have said, I've been in Texas my whole life, and I've never been to Big Bend. I've only had two people tell me they've been. It's awesome. It's very dirty, but it's awesome. It's all volcanic, so it'll mess your car up. But it is a cool place. So that's, uh, that's uh, the Rio Grande. They went across the river to Mexico without passports. That's the three of us hiking. Okay? That's me doing a selfie hiking. So that's on top of a mountain. I just want to point out that I'm hiking. There are some of you, Kaywood, who says to me every Sunday, do you get outside much? I'm outside here. Okay? So please note, oh, next picture, please. I am up on a mountain here. Mark, Julie, and Anna are on mountains. Kaywood, outside. There you are. I see you now. Outside. Oh, no, no. This is me inside eating barbecue. I've been here 15 years. I am a Texan now. Don't text me. Eating barbecue. <clears throat> Very good barbecue at a dive that was dirty. Because that's what you eat near Big Bend. It is next to nowhere. So you eat what they give you where you can eat. Next picture. This is me directing in the wilderness. Kaywood. I'm outside directing my family, pointing that that's the mountain we're about to take, Kaywood. Next slide, please. Tent camping, Kaywood. Jack, tent camping. That's me lighting the fire while the sun is setting in the back. That's the fire I lit. There's an element of question whether Californians can tent camp and light fires. Let the record show I'm a Texan now. That is me in a sleeping bag in the tent. I am in the tent, Kaywood, in a sleeping bag, wondering what the heck I'm doing in a tent in a sleeping bag. But I did it in the, that is me in the morning after sleeping in the tent. 
with coyotes all around yelping, you're an idiot Californian, go find a hotel. That is me. That is me on top of a rock on the edge of a cliff on the edge of Mexico. I want my man card back. And that was our vacation. Thank you for going with us. I hope you enjoyed the slides. Thank you. Kaywood, never ask me again if I've spent time outside. I have. Oh, it was awesome. The Republic of Texas has everything. And if you have not been there, it is it is uh, amazing place to be. Pick your times. It gets very hot in the summer. The history of the place is amazing. We had a good time. And yes, we tent camped. And no, we didn't shower while we tent camped. It's very dirty. But it's kind of fun to get dirty sometimes. If you have access to a Jeep, take the Jeep and go off-roading. It is uh, amazing. The rangers are helpful. Uh, make sure you get lots of gas because there's no gas in the park. So, uh, but it really is. Uh, you, you know, I, I, one of the neat things too right now is a lot of you, uh, when you take vacation, you go to Mexico and to, to resorts, and those are awesome and cute cruises out, out of, uh, you know, out of uh, Houston and all, Galveston. But you know, the state has a lot to offer, a ton to offer. Uh, the truth about the tent camping is, I, don't, uh, I didn't want to put a tent up, so we paid, we paid for one that was already up, a canvas tent. I'm a smart Texan. <laughs> but I stayed in it nonetheless. The sleeping bags were mine. So, but, but man, we had a good time. What a beautiful place that you live. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful place. It is the second largest national park in the country. And only 500,000 people go, go, go a year. It's that remote. It is very remote. And uh, we stayed in Alpine. There was a hotel there. And then we went, a couple, uh, we went for a night there in the park. That's where we stayed in the tent. But... But it's about an hour and a half drive each way unless you stay there. And that's why we stayed there. And we, we just had such a good time. It was, I really wanted to see this, the Milky Way. I hadn't seen it since the deserts of California. And we used to go out there on the weekends and camp and uh, look at it. But it was cloudy, so we didn't get to see it. But man, enjoy your state. Enjoy your, enjoy your republic. Uh, it, is, it is so, so beautiful. It's great to drive. It's 10 hours. And to drive across this land and see all the different types of, of you know, geography is great. So... Anyway, so let's get into our text. Um, I am picking up this morning's study of Acts. If you haven't been, us, been with us, we are uh, doing a study on the body of Christ, a study of the early church from the book of Acts. Uh, if you have not been with us, then you may not know that the book of Acts in the New Testament, it's the first book after the Gospels, was a historical book written by a follower of Jesus by the name of Luke. It is, a, it is, a, it is the first church history book written and it tells us how God, um, after the ascension, inhabited his people at Pentecost. And the, the, the word of God spread throughout the church. So we find ourselves this morning uh, picking up where Zach left us off last week in Acts chapter 9, 15 to 31. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If you did not hear Zach's message, I would encourage you to go back in the archives and listen to it. It was, it was I think, the best, uh, the best message he's presented it was excellent on the text and uh, really was challenging to me personally. I mean, the thought of God saying that I'm going to show this man how he must suffer for me, uh, he talked quite a bit about, and it was very, very powerful. So Ananias went and found Saul, who, by the way, didn't want to touch Saul, who didn't want to meet with Saul. He actually said to the Lord, you know what this guy's done? 
He's killed Christians. He's arrested Christians. But God said, go to him. So he went and he found Saul and he laid hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, that must have come out of his mouth hard. Brother Saul, the Lord who, Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from his, from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately... Saul, or Paul, began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And that's significant because, remember, his whole message was, these followers of Jesus are heretics and they need to be arrested. Now he is saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them into chains uh, to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him, but Saul told them about their plot. So during, uh, but, but Saul was told about their plot, sorry. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in, the, in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he truly became a believer. Then Barnabas, <clears throat> then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Saul uh, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to him. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So his message had changed. He's no longer preaching Judaism or religion. He's preaching Jesus. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Wow. From the persecutor to the persecuted. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then, and this is today's text, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit as it grew in numbers. As I told you at the beginning of our study of Acts, the outline of Acts is actually found in Acts 1.8. And uh, Kevin, if you'll put that up there for me. Uh, this is the outline of the whole book of Acts that Luke records for us. Jesus told the disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's Pentecost. That's chapters 1 and 2. And you will then be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, starting in Jerusalem. And that's Pentecost, chapter 2, through chapter 8, when Stephen is martyred, even with Saul there. And then the verse continues, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria. That's Acts 8 and 9, where we are right now. And then to the ends of the earth. That's the rest of the book, starting in Acts chapter 10. So where we find ourselves this morning is in between at the end of the first two-thirds of this book that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And we're in that, this, this verse 31 that I want us to talk about this morning is the end of that first era. It's interesting because in 931 it tells us that after Saul is taken out, and I don't understand the depth to which, this, uh, to which it happened, but in three communities, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, three lesser legalistic Jewish communities, the church actually experienced peace when they sneaked Saul to Jerusalem. So the persecution ends for them. Uh, that struck me as interesting 
Because persecution doesn't start and not stop. It comes and goes. It's not like you enter a new era and you never get relief. The church obviously had relief there after sneaking Paul out of town. However, according to Luke, it wasn't the peace and the ministry programming of this church in these communities that grew the church. It was two other things. And those are the two things, the two factors, the two keys of success that I'd like us to talk about this morning together. The first factor that Luke attributes to making this church strong was their fear of the Lord. In verse 31, if you'd put that up there for me, Kevin, I want you to see this. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as, you know what the word as means, it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. That's a hugely significant statement. The problem with it is that when you hear a term like the fear of the Lord, you begin to nod off. Why? Because if you've been in church your whole life, this is what your grandfather's pastor told you. Fear the Lord. And we understood the fear of the Lord because if you nodded off during church and the pastor saw you, he would call you out. It wasn't fear of the Lord, it was fear of the pastor. Or your grandmother would nudge you with her elbow if you had finished sucking on the candy she gave you. The fear of the Lord was your Sunday school teacher when you didn't have a verse memorized properly. We really don't know what the fear of the Lord is. The problem is, since most Christians have no idea what that means, we kind of wander around agreeing with it, nodding, and not really wrestling with it because the term, the phrase, the idea of fearing the Lord actually is throughout the whole Bible from the Old Testament to the New. In fact, in Psalm 118, David wrote this, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. This was such an impactful statement by David that his, he and Bathsheba's son, Solomon, requotes it in Proverbs 1.7, the beginning of his, of his proverbial teachings to his boys towards the end of his life, where he wanted them to teach wisdom, he began with, the fear of the Lord is the foundation upon wisdom. So my sons, no matter what else I teach you in the Proverbs that I'm going to tell you, you have to understand that the foundation of it is fearing the Lord. In Psalm 112, which is a companion psalm to Psalm 111, David builds on the idea of the fear of the Lord by actually saying this in Psalm 112, verse 1. He says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord. Now that should send you over the edge. Because all of us, I, most of us who grew, went to church, again, we heard about the fear of the Lord. We thought about the fear of the Lord. We, we, we think, oh, it just is reverence or he's to be feared. But then all of a sudden, David said, joyful are those who fear the Lord. And frankly, that sends us over the edge. That just doesn't make sense. And I hope, I hope that through our years together, when you didn't give me my man card, I hope that, that one thing you've become is, is critical of teaching. I hope you become critical thinkers. I hope that when somebody talks about the peace that passes all understanding, you'll go, I've never experienced that. Or what does that mean? Or I hope when I talk about the fear of the Lord, you go, I'm not satisfied with hearing a religious phrase that makes no sense to me. I want you to explain it to me. Or I want the scripture to explain it to me. 
Because frankly, the fear of the Lord seems to go against a lot of theology or teaching today. Well, actually, Scripture. How about Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16? Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for we faced all of the same testings, for he faced all of the same testings we do, but he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Or another verse, Romans 8, 15, and 16. How can we fear the Lord when Paul tells us that we have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves? What? Same Greek word. Fearful slaves, fear of the Lord. Instead, you've received a spirit when he adopted you as his own children, And now we call him Abba or Daddy. That's what that word means. Daddy, Father. For this spirit joins with ours to affirm that we are God's children. How do we reconcile Luke's explanation in Acts 9.31 that the church grew in strength as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord? These seem to conflict. Especially when the Apostle John writes in 1 John that perfect love cast out fear. These are the kind of questions that I hope, this is a side note, that I hope you start asking. You know, I love that phrase, the fear of the Lord. My grandmother used to use it. My pastor used to use it. I read it in the Bible. But how does that, how does that marry with the idea that perfect love casts out fear? Think, my friends, because there's an answer where you search. There are answers to these questions, and I pray that together in the coming years, we will be students of the scripture to find as many answers as we can to the questions that we have. Some that we're not going to have the answers to, but some there are, and this is one of those. And I think the answer is best told in the life of the man who started the conversation on the fear of the Lord, David. In 1 Samuel 17 is a very popular story that you are familiar with in David's life that I believe absolutely lays out the fear of the Lord by a follower of the Lord and then somebody who doesn't follow the Lord. And the story is of David and Goliath. The Philistines, 1 Samuel 17, 1 says, now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sochoth in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail weighing 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. A couple things. What does this tell us about Goliath and why? Number one, the reason that bronze was worn is because it reflected the sun. And when a person came up over the hill for battle, have you, you have all seen that the Roman centurion had this weird-looking red thing on his hat, right? And that their armor isn't just like chain or mail, that they actually have human shapes that look like the gods, right? The reason is they wanted them to look that way. Because when you walk on the battlefield and you have a ragtag army like the Jewish army, And then you have a fortified army that is used to fighting battles like the Philistines. 
What they want to do is scare them. And so they take this Goliath champion, and it tells us that he's the champion. And the reason it gives us a description of him is not so that we can visualize it in our minds, but so that you can understand that when this guy walked on the battlefield, he shone like the sun, like the gods. His, his, the only thing that was not adorned beautifully was his spear. And it was made of iron. Why? Because that was his weapon of war. Everything else about this man, from his shin guards to his chest to his helmet, were there not just for protection. He was, a, he was a good warrior. And yes, it would protect him, but actually to intimidate the enemies. This text simply tells us that he was big, that he was strong, and that he was a champion. The author of 1 Samuel wants you to know that Goliath is not only offensively powerful, but he is like a tank, and in his own mind, and in the mind of the Philistines, unbeatable. Verse 8, Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are, you all, why, aren't you, uh, why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I'm the Philistine champion, but you are the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So what does the author want you to know? That not only do the Philistines think that this tank, nine foot, nine inch tall tank, brass tank, is undefeated and undefeatable, so do the Hebrews. They agree with them. They look at him, they see him, they're impressed, they know of his renown. And so they are deeply shaken. They agree. Later in David's life, David would write Psalm 20. And I want you to look at it with me really quick. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem. May he never or may he remember all your gifts and look favorably upon your burnt offerings. Verse 4. May he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of the victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all our prayers. Now I know that the Lord rescues his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. Now remember, we're talking about the fear of the Lord here. So just keep that in the back of your mind because I'm going to bring it back around in a minute. But I want, to, I want you to pay attention to the next two verses David's observation, because I think we can make the case that this reminds him of the battle with David and Goliath. Some nations boast of their chariots and their horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. So David writes this, and I believe he writes it out of his own experience for sure, and I believe it started with David and Goliath on this battlefield. Back to 1 Samuel 7, 17, 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse in Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he was, had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was his youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's armies, but David went back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Please note the words that are put in Scripture for you. 
He's in brass helmet, brass chest plate, brass, uh, brass shin pads. All of them are endowed to make him look bigger than he is. And he struts. That is, that is not just arrogance. It is a war tactic. Sometimes we think everything is spiritual in the mind of the writer, but it's not. This is an enemy of Hebrews. This guy thinks he's taking on Saul's people. He has no respect for their gods. He simply is strutting because in his mind, this is about what you have to fight with, not on whose behalf or who's empowering you. Fear of the Lord. One day, Jesse said to David, Take a basket of roasted grain, I'm in verse 17, and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Okay, so they're all screaming. This has been going on for a month now, but they still enter the battlefield screaming, Woo, we're going to win, we're going to win. Yeah, 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 Braveheart, you know, walking in front, blue and white. I mean, they're doing that. And David gets there at that time. And soon the Israelite and Philistine forces faced each other, army against army. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, this is the first time he sees him, he comes out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt of the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away. What a bunch of babies. You think I lose my man card? No, he's big. He's never lost in battle. But these are the armies of the Lord. So I'm already going to start hinting. You see, the problem with the Israelite army is they don't have the fear of the Lord. That's the problem with the Israelite army. They have no idea who's on their side. Without the fear of the Lord, you're a fear of people. You're a fear of death. You're a fear of life. And so when Goliath comes out, he runs. Verse 22, David left it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm farther than that. That's 24. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Verse 25, have you seen the giant, the men ask? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David, a good Republican, asked the soldiers standing nearby, now, now, I want you to pay attention because this has always been weird to me, but as I thought about it this week, it starts making sense. So David was just told what the man will win if he defeats Goliath. But now David moves on to a different group and he starts asking the questions. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending the defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They say, yes, that is the reward for killing him. What David is doing is saying, why isn't somebody fighting this guy? You see, David is that younger brother that drives you nuts. He's too stupid to know the risk because he thinks he's invincible. His question is a good one. He's defying the armies of God. You realize that, right, guys? I mean, he's, he's not just talking about Saul's guys. He's talking about God's guys. Aren't you aware of the rewards you get? Yes, we're aware. You get a wife and you get wealth and you don't ever have to pay taxes. So David is going around going, why doesn't anybody want these things? I don't understand. You see, in David's mind, 
who has the fear of the Lord, and you're going to see this, there's no way they can lose. There's no way. There is no way because this man, let's keep going. Verse 28, I'm preaching before I should. Um, Got to find my place. Oh, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He's just like you would be your younger brother. You have no idea what you're talking about. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those, what's the adjective there? Few sheep. It's always about size, isn't it? It's always about numbers, isn't it? Now you know where his heart is. They don't care that it's sheep or the family sheep. It's just a little bit of sheep. He's putting him down. You think that guy's big? You want, to take, you want us to take that guy on? You're, you're a tender of small amounts of sheep. What are you doing here? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. He's still a little brother. What is wrong with you? I was only asking a question. I love it. This is so real. This is a conversation you've had with your little brother or sister, or older brother and sister. He walked over to some others, though. He wasn't dissuaded, and he asked the same question, received the same answer. That's what makes me think that he was just trying to figure out why nobody will fight this guy. David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about that Philistine, David told Saul. I'll fight him. <laughs> he's like this tall, by the way. Okay, he's got little sandals on and cheese under his fingernails. It's like me going to the desert, Kaywood. I lived, Kaywood. Killed four scorpions, a coyote, and three bears. I love it, though. David walks into the king's court, and he says, I'll take him on. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight that Philistine and possibly win. You're a little boy. It's always size, isn't it? I'm going to keep reminding you. Why? Because Saul doesn't fear the Lord. He fears Goliath. He fears the enemy. He doesn't fear the Lord. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Some boast in chariots and horses. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this both with lions and bears, and I'll do it with this pagan Philistine. Now, let me, let me rephrase this different than it's often taught, just, just, just for argument's sake. I don't think what David is saying is, I'm a great warrior, man. He's going to say that God gave him victory over the lions and the bears. And he shouldn't have. David knows who he is. He knows his size. He's not an idiot. He's taken on bears, though, that should have defeated him. He's taken on lions that defeated him. His argument is, I haven't died yet. God's on my side. Why are you, what are you afraid of? Now, we always hear it like, I just want to, I want to give a little frame for this because my apologies to every person who ever taught that it was about five small stones. Those stones did not defeat Goliath. God defeated Goliath. David wasn't going, oh, I'll go get some stones and kill him. That's not what he was thinking. He's like, I killed a bear and I killed a lion and I shouldn't have. I know I'm small. Have you seen Veggie Tales? <laughs> he knows he's small. The music says it. <laughs> David persisted. And he goes on. For he, he, he says, oh, okay. I'm going to read it because I don't want to lose the context of verse 36. I have done this both with lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. That is fear of the Lord. 
The Lord who rescued me from the claws of lions and a bear will rescue me from the Philistine. David wasn't saying he had been prepared for battle by being a sheep herder. He's saying his God had protected him. That's what it says. We make it us. We make it people. We actually endorse. Well, David was a good warrior. No, he wasn't. He was a little boy who God had protected up to this point. After many hours, I'm making that up, finally Saul consents. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you because you're going to need him. Now he brings the Lord up. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two and fell right on his face, again in Veggie Tales. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them, on, uh, them into the shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across to the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David. Can you imagine what Goliath was thinking? How about the king of the Philistine armies? How stupid are these Hebrews? Why? Because they don't fear the Lord. Why should they fear the Lord when his own people don't? You see, the fear of the Lord in the enemy of God is different than the fear of the Lord for the child of God. We don't wet our pants. We go in courage. What's the worst they can do, Jesus say? Kill you? And then we get to go home to be with Richard. I mean, seriously, friends. The problem, I think the problem with Mark Wilkie, I don't want to say the church, it's me. And, and the church is, we forget that our home is heaven. Our home is there. That's where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't lie in victory on the earth, a better America. Our hope doesn't lie in a, in a better experience or a better job or a better wife or a better husband. Our hope lies in what happens when we finally realize the result of sin, death. Our hope lies in victory over death, in the resurrection. And the fear of the Lord allows you to courageously walk up against Goliath. Forget the stones. Well, we all have to have five stones. That's, the, that's what will defeat God. No, it won't. If you go into battle putting your hope in your five stones, you are going to have your head cut off. You put your hope in the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. It's knowing what he's capable of, but knowing you're on his side. Okay, I've pre-preached the message. Verse 41 Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. You little boy, veggie tails. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with the stick? I'm not exactly sure what that means, but he's not impressed. Am I a dog? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. How wonderful. It must have taken him an hour starting with Dagon. Remember that God who fell over at the Ark of the Covenant? One by one, he lists the gods, and David's out there going, I wonder if the rocks, are, I have enough rocks. Just listening to him. Why? Because Goliath was confident in his horses and his armor, and he looked in the mirror, and he went, I am so beautiful and so strong. And David's going, I got God. I got God. He's big. I'm little. Ah, you got grandkids. I love this story. Do you already know what the fear of the Lord is? He picked up five. Uh, let's see what verse. I keep having to look up because 
Verse 43, am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Verse 20, 44, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the bird and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine. And here's the clue. You come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, Goliath, the Lord will conquer you. No mention of stones. And I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that I am the best warrior the world has ever seen, even as a boy. I will start a webpage with my name on it, and I will begin to train the church for hundreds of years on how to defeat the giants of their lives through psychopop. It's not what it says. The world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here to, will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword or a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. In case you haven't heard my cynicism about much of the preaching on this text, let me go deeper in it. Actually, what David says here says, don't put your hope in the, in the rocks. It's exactly the opposite, and yet that's what keeps being preached about this text. There are not five smooth stones that you can cling on to with little words on it that will help you defeat the giants of your life. There's only a God who can. Seriously. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one who wants to save us. Everyone here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword, spear, or rocks. But this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us today. So Goliath moved closer to attack, and the Hebrew refers to he moved in. Whatever that looks like for a giant of nine feet, nine inches with brass. He talks to his shield bearer who has to go before him because it's so heavy. How do you like that job? He runs out ahead of him. He says, I want you to go here. We're going to get in position. I'm going to throw. You know, I'm going to target practice. I'm going to throw my sword this time. They get cocky and they move into battle. As Goliath moved closer to attack, look what David does. He's such an idiot. Look what he does. What does he do? He runs to the battle. He's so stupid. Why would you run towards an armored nine foot, nine inch tank that's prepared to cut you in pieces and feed you to, to the birds. Because in your mind, there's no way you can lose. Because you know your God. You know whose side you're on. You know that there isn't the word lose in your vocabulary. So when Goliath gets in position, David goes, it's time. Let's get it on. And he runs into battle. I love that. You know what the Hebrew means in the wording for this? It means he ran. Like a little boy. Goliath must have wet himself at this point. I wonder at what point he goes, well, this kid's really stupid. Shield bearer, shield bearer, slow him down. Reaching into a shepherd bag, as he's running, he takes out a stone, he hurls it with the sling, and he hits the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell on his face to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David uh, ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. He's big. I'm... 
and he used it to kill him by cutting off his head. So to be clear, as opposed to what our Sunday school teachers taught us, what the rock did was knocked him unconscious. The rock doesn't even kill the giant. So next time somebody tells you that what you need to do is find five smooth stones to overcome the giants in your life, just remind them that the stone didn't kill the giant. His own sword did. You see, because the problem with Goliath was his self-confidence, his lack of fear of the Lord, his lack of understanding that David was on the Lord's side. And you know what? At this point, he should have known that David was on the Lord's side. They had been delivered from Egypt. They had heard the stories. Everybody throughout the Old Testament, I'm reading it again this year with some of you. And are you not amazed? It doesn't matter how many hundreds of years after Abraham and Moses, people are still talking about, we know what your God has done for you. They knew what God had done for them. They had Dagon. Oh, that's going to happen later. But all this stuff happens, and he has no fear of David's God. And if you are not a child of God today, you must fear the God of David. If you do not fear him today, you will fear him in the future. That is not an option. If you are an atheist here this morning, choosing not to believe that God exists, I assure you he does, and you will bow before him one day. This is a non-negotiable thing. And I am sorry if that's disappointing to you, but the truth is you must bow the knee or you will bow the knee. Right? And for the record, he does love you, but you must fear him. This story could be summarized in this. Goliath boasted of his chariots, his horses, his armor, and his own strength. But David boasted in the name of the Lord his God. You see, the truth is, and I'm coming to the end here, so pay attention. And I'm sure you're already with me in this. But the fear of the Lord looks differently to the lost person than it does to the worshiper of Jehovah or the follower and disciple of Jesus. For instance, to the unbeliever like Goliath, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom that both David and Saul talk about is actually the terror that comes when you realize that there is someone more powerful than you, than anything on this earth, anything seen or unseen, and if you are his enemy, you are going to not only be defeated, but if you do not make friends with him, you will be condemned after he defeats you. You will be condemned. Into eternity. Without recourse. That's not a Baptist truth. It's not an Assembly of God truth. It's not an evangelical truth. Walk away from all of us. It is an eternal truth. And that is worth terror. The word fear. You should fear him. And Goliath had no fear or terror, to, terror of David's God. And that was his downfall. He was prepared for battle with ordinary people. He was not prepared for battle with God. He was overly self-confident and self-assured, not fearing David's God. And because of it, he ends up without a head. If you are not a believer today, you may look at the church just as the Jewish leaders did, a small band of rogue followers of Jesus back in Acts, and you may think we are weak and sinful and self-righteous and easily defeated and canceled. You might be right, but God cannot be. You can silence us, you can beat us, you can kill us, but you cannot do that to God. And for the record, it will only happen to us as he allows. So brothers and sisters, stop being afraid. There's nothing Facebook can do to you that God won't allow. Stop being afraid. There's nothing a liberal government can do to us. Well, they can keep us from meeting. Then we'll meet in homes and in basements. And in, we got plenty of forest here. They can't be everywhere. I don't want that any more than you, but they come at us with swords and guns. And, but we stand with the Lord at our back. But sometimes they do kill Stephen. Stephen went home. There are things worse than death. 
like living for yourself, trying to figure out life on your own, there are things worse than death, like dying without Jesus. Be friends with God. Romans chapter 3, 21 to 25 tells you how. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with God without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, look at your screens if you're home. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus' sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. If you are not in a right relationship with God right now, I beg of you to run to Jesus. Or you can be like Goliath and run at us. And whether you kill us in this side of eternity or not, you will stand before our dad. Join us. Don't fight us. You will lose. You will lose. 1 John 1, 1.9. I'm going to talk to Christians for a second. Unsaved friend, put your hope in God. Believer, be like David. Not the Israelite armors, his brothers. But David, like the young ragtag group of followers of Jesus in Acts, who had seen the power of God firsthand from his word and their own lives, the fear of the Lord is what strengthened them. That is what made them strong. That was the first thing. For the child of God, the fear of the Lord is like a young child, and I understand some of you had bad fathers, so you need to dream of the perfect father for a second. But a child looks at his dad when he's five or six. And even though he's got inklings of rebellion at times, he wants the cookie when he's told not to eat it, the truth is he depends or she depends on her father to protect him or her. Because they have seen what they're capable of. And a dad to a child is bigger than anything else they know. That's how it is with God. When you know God and what he's capable of, he, he can defeat anything. And so everything you do, everywhere you go, every word you say, when you live in the fear of the Lord, is set with the wind of the Holy Spirit at your back telling you you're going to be just fine. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to run from the battlefield. Just stand tall. Well, I'm not very tall. He's big. I'm little. Yeah, but I'm bigger than all of you. It's the fear of the Lord of knowing what he's capable of. It isn't just worship. It isn't just reverence. It's all of it. It's knowing God. This is why you've got to be in the word. You've got to be reminded what God did to the Egyptians to know that he can do it today. You've got to be reminded that despite Stephen dying, the church flourished. That despite the persecution, God still won because nothing's changed but the time and uh, technology. Everything's the same. We've got God on our side. You don't have to fear the gay agenda. You don't have to fear uh, social media. You don't have to fear Biden or Pelosi or Trump. You can walk with Jesus outside of the fear of, the, uh, outside of the fear of them. You can fear the Lord. What a gift. Well, what if they hurt us? They can only hurt us for a short time. And then we go home. Think about 
The church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and Acts 9.31 says, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. There's never been a more important time for you and I to live in the fear of the Lord than today. But that wasn't all. There was a second thing. They became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. So here's what I hope God is changing in the church. We do believe in our soul that if we have the right programming, the right approach, and the right gentleness, people will respond to the gospel. That's still believing in ourselves. It's God who grows the church. As we fear the Lord and know what He's capable of, as they feared the Lord, what they did was they leaned into Him, they surrendered control of their life, even their physical life to Him, and they became strong. And they grew as God wanted them to grow. Growth is not, defeating the enemy is not the result of good programming in the church. It's, an, it's the result of knowing who God is. Good uh, growth in a church, a biblical, spiritual growth in the church is not the result of good programming. It's the result of knowing who God is and allowing God to use you. Do what you want with us, Father. We trust you. That's what transforms. It's, it's our knowledge of God and the Holy Spirit working through them that actually succeeded this church. For my whole life, I have listened to people say, we need to be more like the Acts church. Well, now you know their, their, their secret. They walked in the fear of the Lord. They knew who he was and they knew they could trust him. And they surrendered control of their life to the Holy Spirit no matter what the cost. And God blessed them for it. And we could even say those who lost, like Stephen, I'd argue he was blessed. Even as he had rocks hit in his face. He went home. Put your hope in God. To do that, you got to know Him. We want to be like the first church at Acts? We better get to know Him. Not as He was presented to us at church with five sm- the, the five smooth stone providing God, but as the one who didn't need stones. If that day David went, Goliath's head would have fallen off and rolled down the hill. Because David didn't win the battle. God used him to defeat his enemy. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for this clue into the heart and, and lives of First Church Jerusalem. We thank you for their, for their example. And I know they struggled. They struggled with prejudice. They struggled with uh, inside of themselves, wondering why some are getting more support than others. The same things we struggle with. But one thing they did is they knew who their God was and they trusted Him. So help us, Father, to live in the fear of the Lord, knowing who you are and what you're capable of. And for those people, those individuals who do not know you, Father, I pray that today they would cry out to you, that they would confess with their mouth their sin, And believe that you are the Lord of all and accept your offer to forgive their sin. To become part of your family. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for being here this morning.